0: You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast.
1: Hi, my name is Tanya Bagar. I come from Slovenia. Um, I studied microbiology for my bachelor's degree, and later I did a PhD in biomedicine, where I dealt mostly with molecular biology and biochemistry. And now for quite a number of years, I've been dealing intensely with cannabinoids, cannabis, hemp... And mostly the health benefits that these molecules can bring.
0: The Curious About Cannabis podcast is produced by Natural Learning Enterprises, a mission-driven company dedicated to enhancing critical thinking skills and public scientific literacy about life in the natural world. If you like Curious About Cannabis, consider checking out some of these other learning initiatives by Natural Learning Enterprises.
1: Come on Molly, it'll be an adventure, Phoebe called out as she followed Brother Toadstool. Brother Toadstool
0: led Phoebe and Molly into a tunnel that went deep down into the ground. As they climbed into the tunnel, they found themselves getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Our new children's book, A Toadstool's Treasures, takes young readers on an adventure into the fun and fascinating world of fungi. Learn more and find mycology-related learning resources, games, and lesson plans for teachers and homeschooling families at toadstoolstreasures.com. Biodiversity loss due to habitat loss and fragmentation is rapidly increasing around the world, with devastating consequences. Learn how you can help contribute to native habitat corridors in your community and reconnect with your wild neighbors at GardenWild.org. Oregon recently became the first state in the United States to legalize the medical use of psilocybin. As cities all over the country begin to decriminalize the use of entheogenic plants and fungi, it's time to have a serious discussion about psychedelics. The Serious About Psychedelics limited series podcast is coming soon. Learn more at SeriousAboutPsychedelics.com You can learn more about natural learning enterprises at NaturalEDU.com And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody, this is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. So today I'm really, really excited to finally be joining somebody that I've been collaborating with for years, and we've written papers and co-authored chapters, all sorts of things together, but we've never been able to sit down face-to-face and talk. I'm here with Dr. Tanya Bagar from the um, International Institute for Cannabinoids, and she's also a professor, does all sorts of great education work around cannabis. Uh, Thanks so much, Tanya, for being willing to... Talk to me all the way from Slovenia today, all about cannabis science and the endocannabinoid system and whatever else we get into today.
1: Thank you very much, Jason, for having me. I'm very honored to be able to talk to you, to be able to see you finally face-to-face and have a little chat live uh, after, as you mentioned, we've been um, collaborating in different ways for quite some time.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And for those listening we'll just kind of dive right in. Do you mind sharing a bit about your um, academic and scientific background and kind of what um, what got you interested in cannabinoid science? And then from there, we can kind of spin out and talk about um, ICANA as well as um, some of your more direct interests about the endocannabinoid system and all of that.
1: Yes, of course. Um, so I uh, studied microbiology for my uh, bachelor's degree, and I later did my PhD from biomedicine, and all mm-hmm. of my PhD thesis dealt with uh, cellular signaling. Uh, and at that time, we studied mostly the signaling with calcium and pH signaling, mm-hmm. and I had all kinds of courses on cellular biology, on uh, receptors, and all kinds of ways of signaling. And you can imagine my surprise that now when looking back, I see that nobody ever mentioned cannabinoids, the endocannabinoid system. (laughs) We have known receptors. We had to draw each molecular bond for each neurotransmitter, (laughs) but nobody ever mentioned we have an anandamide, endocannabinoids, cannabinoid receptor. So I finished my PhD on this topic without knowing anything about cannabis. I wasn't interested. I was a very good and hardworking student, so I had zero cannabis experiences as such and zero knowledge about it. And then uh, sometimes some years later, um, I had a job that dealt mostly with uh, ecology, but um, I was always fascinated and curious, and I was always digging into papers on... um, on the way, the cells for me, cells are the most fascinating thing there is on this planet. Uh, I think that we could study it for millennia to come. The tiniest structures in our body is still not know enough. And so, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so I was always constantly looking for it, and then I remember still this moment when I was in at my job. Uh, the experiments were running and i look at the pubmed and i go oh there's something what this endocannabinoid system i was like my first thought was "Ah, this can't be true if this was really true i would know it of course i would know it i mean i i've dedicated my phd to this (laughs) but uh, then i it could i couldn't you know Uh, it woke this curiosity in me and i said okay i gotta learn more about this and then i go and i see that there's not one paper there's not 10 paper there's not a thousand paper there's like ten thousands of paper (laughs) on this topic so and since i don't know 1984 we've known about this you know this is a little bit after i was born we've known about this and i have no clue about this so and not to
0: mention like with CB1 being one of the most dominant G-protein coupled receptors in the brain. And you're talking about, you know, you took all of these classes on cellular receptors and obviously you studied G-protein coupled receptors, Of
1: course.
0: Um, but then <laughs> this huge piece missing yeah. from the curriculum.
1: Exactly. Completely out there. There's nothing on it. So, uh, then I, um, yeah, the, the curiosity took the best of me and I studied, I spent hours and hours secretly in the lab reading through papers, printing, marking, What the, what is this? Uh, and this took about two years for me to be able to say that I've got um, quite this basic knowledge of what this mm-hmm. endocannabinoid system is supposed to be and the receptors of where they are and what the function of these molecules and these receptors is in our body and then i started attending a few conferences and then i think the turning point was that um, at one of these conferences uh, conferences actually in slovenia i met uh, a few parents that had children with severe epilepsy Hmm. that couldn't be treated with conventional anti-epileptics and they came to me with a question. So we hear that cannabis could help. We hear something about CBD. We're actually in a very dreaded situation. Nothing is helping. So do you think this could make sense? You know. And then we sat with the parents for hours and hours. And we traveled with the parents to different doctors in uh, Austria and under other countries. Because in Slovenia at that time, there were no one really dealing with cannabinoids. Um, especially not for children, but also not otherwise. And then I said, oh my God, if this could help, you know, one child, it would be, you know, I would feel like my life makes sense. Not not, Let alone that we could then, of course, when one parent had success with CBD with their child, then more and more parents came, and then more and more patients came with questions. And I thought, wow, I mean, this... The, and the the thing was that, um, you know, it wasn't that these uh, patients or parents were looking for a direct answer, you know, so, mm-hmm. as, so this is going to cure me or this is going to cure my child. But it was, you know, they came with a whole lot of, so people then when um, they find kind of a health situation where medicine, conventional medicine doesn't have an answer for it. Then all they find all kinds of informations from cannabis to uh, I don't know uh, spider poisons to scorpion toxins oh, wow. to all yeah. everything mm-hmm. possible, and they for them if you're not from a medical or at least biological field this is you know completely overwhelming and you have no way to orient yourself what makes sense even at the basic level and what not. And this is actually what they're looking for. They were looking for an answer. Does this even closely make sense or can it even hurt my child or myself right. in this health situation? And so my, idea, my thought was if we could at least help them through these first hurdles, you know, to answer these first basic questions, not to give them an instant answer for all of their mm-hmm. health issues, but to help them move in the right direction that this would be already a lot done. And with this in mind, then we started thinking that um, because there were um, there were actually no um, organizations proper organizations at that time working in Slovenia, uh, so we decided that we um, form this institute, ICANA, that primarily functions as a connecting base for people who are working in this field. Is it researchers, medical doctors, anyone who try anyone who's willing to cooperate and really live this somewhere where patients could primarily benefit from it.
0: Yeah. And how, how have things evolved since those early days of working with those first parents and, and trying to get them help? I guess, first of all, what, um, what were you able to see the outcomes, um, with those children? Like, um, or did you just sort of facilitate the information did you actually see kind of um if they got help or not and and how has that evolved to today because can has been operating now for i don't know what like uh five years or so yeah yeah um, exactly a little while
1: yeah mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes, so we have uh, we have uh, still contact with some of these parents, and fifty uh, percent of the children that started with CBD actually got significant improvement in epileptic seizures or are completely seizure-free. Wow. And this is, we have to consider that this is children that were uh, that had refractory epilepsy, so they were resistant to at least three medications. Some of them tried seven and more anti-epileptic medications before trying CBD. So these were really really difficult cases, not um, not some light. Uh, yeah seizures, so really difficult cases and to see an improvement here with children that had hundred plus seizures a day to be able to yeah really yeah breathe and live again, which was completely yeah. impossible before it's it's yeah it's it's, it's beyond words yes it's it's incredible what um so we have seen a lot of the uh, quite a number of these cases. And um, um, I have to say that, especially in Slovenia, in the field of um, pediatric neurology, uh, a lot has changed since then. We uh, there was one doctor, in um, a pediatric neurologist called Doctor David Neubauer, who is also a member of ICANA, and he is he's been dealing with um, he's been treating these children, and he is actually the one. That was the first doctor who started to listen to their patients and said, okay, I don't know anything about this, but I'm willing to learn. And yes. now he has really moved, moved barriers and 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 amazing things since in Slovenia. And you can imagine that this is actually, let's say, the most sensitive area. So it's children and yep. it's neurological conditions which is usually where most say no cannabis, no cannabinoids. And uh, here, exactly in this most sensitive part, he has been able to do really wonders. He has since also published studies that they have done uh, at the pediatric clinic in Ljubljana. And he has seen, actually, they usually start with CBD, also with children who do not respond well, to uh, other epileptic, anti-epileptic medications. And they also see about the same. In 50% of cases, they see either drastic reduction or uh, uh, the seizures completely stopping. Then uh, they have seen zero. So no one gets worse when they start taking CBD. Mm, I see, yeah. And then there's some that you see that they have, uh, let's say, better cognitive function better sleep but but maybe not a reduction in the seizures but nobody gets gets worse and men i say uh, at least half or more get significant improvement in their
0: yeah. uh, epilepsy that's that's really incredible um and what what um types of cbd products um are these children being given is it like isolated cbd or is it a cbd rich extract
1: um yeah so this is another story that has also been evolving so when they started there was practically nothing available in slovenia and majority of these parents traveled somewhere abroad to either netherlands Mm -hmm. or germany to try to purchase something that would make sense there was also very little analytical possibilities to test (laughs) what you've actually purchased at all um, but the first the children were actually treated with an isolate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, then later, they were uh, even the pediatric clinic is now can prescribe a full spectrum CBD. And then the parents go out and buy it as they some even imported the Charlottes web from oh, the yeah. states. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are also some very good producers at uh, in Slovenia that test everything, that grow hemp ecologically and produce CBD um, drops from these, yeah, Slovenia-grown uh, hemp. Uh, nice. Yeah. Uh, and he, he says that he, they have seen, um, for example, in... Um, In the group of children that did not respond to isolate of CBD, when they started giving them full spectrum, they saw an improvement in Mm. epileptic. So they can definitely see that a full spectrum functions much better than an isolate, which we anyway know. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, yeah, that's one of the things that every, um, every professional that I talk to that works with patients, um, I hear that same story over and over again Mm. that usually they start with isolate because that's just where they have to start. Um, and they inevitably discover that these, you know, sort of full spectrum extracts tend to perform better, uh, which is very interesting. And there's some preclinical data that sort of, you know, backs that up. There's been some studies looking Mm. at inflammation (laughs) markers and stuff that, um, show that the dose-response curves are very different between isolate and full-spectrum extract. And that's something I've been really wanting to understand more. I spoke with um, um, Dady Miri recently mm-hmm. oh, um, for the podcast. I haven't, I haven't released the episode yet, but the work that they're doing, um, trying to really analyze all of, you know, they have a method now where they can analyze like 140 cannabinoids in a product. I know, and I'm so jealous. Over- me too. Yeah, I know.
1: I'm like, <laughs> it's like, oh no.
0: And like out here in the United States, you know, uh, lab testing has been going on technically for about 10 years, but really more five or six years as states have legalized and that sort of thing. And, you know, we're testing for maybe... Uh, at best, a dozen cannabinoids yeah, exactly. and maybe a couple dozen terpenes. And so it's, I don't know, sometimes you feel like you're working in the dark a little bit.
1: <laughs> mm. <laughs> yes, it's the same in Slovenia. I think we have a handful of labs. Okay, so we're a small country to start with, but, and yeah. it's also the same. Some test for six, in best case, yep. they test for maybe 12 uh, cannabinoids. Yep. And um, and then even if you go, I want to te- have the acids tested uh, apart from the mm. the carboxylate. Then it's already oh god no. <laughs> <So it's, laughs> and then I, I've been to several talks of Doctor uh, uh, Meiri, and then when he shows these tables with, I'm like oh heaven, this this <laughs> is what we need.
0: <laughs> yes, I know. I when I t- talked to him, I was like. You know, we we have to figure out ways to uh, replicate the model that they're doing mm. in Israel. It's so fascinating um, the True. way that the healthcare system and the testing labs and the universities, like all everything, mm. is connected. And so that data sharing is incredible. And yeah. I hope I don't know. I hope to see that that spread. Um, but that that sort of relates to. Uh, One thing I wanted to talk about, about ICANA is that one of ICANA's missions is to promote this international collaboration Mm. to try to, you know, see what's going on in all of these different countries and to try to share that information and bring people together. Um, And so I guess one thing that I wanted to get a sense of because I'm not out there is how how the cannabis environment differs between like Slovenia, Austria, Croatia, all of these nearby countries um, Mm. that, you know, you're all working together, but I imagine there's probably kind of a patchwork of cannabis laws and that sort of thing that makes things a little challenging to do research and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, very true. So generally there are some laws that are governing, governing the entire European Union, but uh, mm-hmm. it seems that the interpretation of these the same laws is, for example, very different in each country in inside <laughs> the European Union, because for yeah, so Slovenia, it seems that we are one of the most strict countries, especially when it comes to cannabis. Um, for example, uh, the Slovenian government um, and the Austrian government use the same uh, law statement. And uh, in Slovenia, the explanation is that we are not allowed allowed to grow cannabis, anything mm-hmm. that is not agricultural hemp. And in Austria, they use the same argument to say that they can grow and sell a cannabis plant until they are harvested. And they oh, use the same exactly the same uh, line out of the uh, convention to state that we can't and they can. So it's, 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 it's crazy uh, I'm really hoping now that um, and then for example also when it comes to growing um, hemp as an agricultural crop, in Slovenia mm-hmm. we have a limit of 0.2 THC that we can right. grow, in Austria they have 0.3 in Italy they have 0.6 in Switzerland, oh wow I didn't realize that yeah in Switzerland they have 1% so it's <laughs> you know it's uh, <laughs> yeah each country does its own thing um i'm really happy and grateful that no, now we have this um, a organization it's european association for uh, hemp and they have been really trying to push for a uh legislation that would cover the entire european union because then it's also very hard to uh, export products because then they're okay in one country and not okay in three others and it's really really hard to be yeah to 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 yeah to be uh, on the market and then last year for example we had this novel food situation mm-hmm. yeah And then it was also this uh, very... So some countries said, okay, this means that the entire CBD industry is banned and all the products have to go off the market. Uh, And some said, okay, we're fine with this. We're not going to do anything. So it was a whole... um, Also very, very different responses to the same statement that the European Union decided on. So it's very hard to... um, And also when we look at research... Uh, when we apply for different, um, yeah, um, let's say, how do you say this in English? So we need an allowance to do some research, right? So right, like a license if, or
0: something. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So if we uh, uh, ask for it in Slovenia, in Austria, and somewhere else, it's completely different what we need to uh, what, what are the rules or what are the um, re- requirements we need to have in able to, to do research. So it's, it's quite a challenge with, <laughs> with these yeah. molecules and this plant in, uh, in all of Europe. Um, I'm hoping now, it was yesterday that there was a good move forward. I believe that mm-hmm. the um, World Health Organization decided to uh, reschedule cannabis. So I'm hoping that that will bring some loosening, at least as far as medical and res- uh, medical use and research possibilities for cannabis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I saw that and I was excited to see um, that the WHO had made that move. And, um, you know, I'd seen, you know, back in 2017 or 2018 uh, when they wrote up a report about CBD and they were pretty um, – seem to be relatively supportive of, you know, acknowledging that CBD was safe and ought to be uh, allowed to, you know, be traded and that sort of thing. And then seeing what the UN did, it is exciting. And it it's it's interesting because like in the European Union, you have some similar dynamics to what we have in the United States in that you have in the United States, every state does things differently. Yeah. Um, the federal government has a rule, but then every state's interpreting those rules differently. And so, and you can't cross state lines with material, you know. This this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so it's a fascinating parallel um, to see. And I, I do hope that there's some some standardization there um, to make it easier. Because, for instance, you're talking about like places that allow hemp with 0.6 or 1, which that's very progressive and exciting to hear. Because um, mm-hmm. that's what we're fighting for in the United States is to try to allow hemp to have up to 1 thc um, mm. to make yeah, it much which would more make
1: sense yeah
0: yeah i mean the 0.3 limit was very arbitrary to begin with um mm. when it was published and um so it would make a lot of very interesting research possible at that point but
1: um yeah for, just to say for example in slovenia we have some um uh, hemp varieties that are um Typically Slovene, or how do you say mm-hmm. that? But they they come from Slovenia mm-hmm. uh, or ex Yugoslavia, and we're not allowed to grow them because sometimes, some years when it's very sunny, it goes over the zero point uh, two line. So we're not allowed to grow our own hemp varieties, which is really big. yeah,
0: yeah. That's a, a shame. I hope the uh, I hope the germplasm for all of that is is well kept, so that when you can grow it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. be there.
1: Yeah, uh, the biotechnical faculty in Ljubljana is storing some of these seeds that are, uh, yeah, home Slovene. Some also hoping, but for now we're we're. Uh, it was shown that some years where it was really dry and very sunny, it came to zero point six. So it, this was, you know, our limit is zero point two. So this yeah. was like way out of. Um, yeah, proportions for <laughs> for growing <laughs> in Slovenia.
0: Yeah, and I have to say, if anyone's uh, not familiar with Slovenia, I w- I've got to travel out there eventually because it it looks like a beautiful place, and just the as a biologist, um, I've studied the biodiversity of Slovenia, mm. um, and it's a an incredible um place. Just when it comes to just all of the surrounding life, it's a nice little pocket of um of just extreme biodiversity it's uh, really incredible
1: yeah it's true when you come i, I will volunteer to be your guide uh, i yes. actually live in a um, in natura 2000 conserved area mm-hmm. so it's like a national park in the north yes. uh, uh, northeast of slovenia so yeah there's a lot of biodiversity still to be seen here
0: yeah. And that makes me think about in, in sort of in a in a weird way, segue to the uh, next idea I want to talk about, which is one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is um, how molecules in other plants affect the endocannabinoid system. Yeah. And so one reason why I live where I live right now is because the area of the United States where I live right now is one of the major biodiversity hotspots in the United States. And one thing I want to the next couple years try to transition to researching is um doing sort of looking more closely at the molecules in other plants try to find things that might sort of have some similar characteristics to cannabinoids Mm. compounds that might have uh that are tricyclic or bicyclic um you know that have a Similar, similar dynamics, and and try to understand how they might be influencing the endocannabinoid system. So, one thing I wanted to ask you, because you teach about the endocannabinoid system a lot, um, beyond just the, you know, I guess your experience with patients, but on a cellular biology level, what is it about the endocannabinoid system that uh, really fascinates you? That that you really find interesting? That you like to study?
1: So for me, uh, the most fascinating part of it is trying to really understand now, from what we understand now, this function that the endocannabinoid system has. I think it's unlike any other system we have in our bodies. So mm-hmm. if I I explain the way I imagine it in my uh, <laughs> my head is like, you know, usually. How uh, A house has these electrical fuses where the electric electricity comes into the house. And I imagine that the endocannabinoid system or the cannabinoids are something like that. So in the house, when the, there's, an ov- there's a huge electricity wave coming in, it's mm-hmm. going to burn out and it's going to keep the electricity out, preventing it from burning all kinds of appliances in the house. And I imagine that the endocannabinoid system does something like this that when there an something that challenges or uh, poses a threat to our uh, biochemistry, our balance in the cells, organs, tissues, the, cannab- the endocannabinoids are produced and they activate all possible systems, whatever it takes to get ourselves back into the balance. And I think that there's yeah. nothing comparable to this, you know. The immune system does something similar, but just for bacteria, viruses, and parasites. You know? yeah. uh, <laughs> and this and this, you know, it was shown that the endocannabinoid system uh, produces endocannabinoids even for emotional stress, you know, yes. e- yeah. even if we. Yeah, if something, I don't know, upsets us in traffic or we have a fight with our spouse or the boss gets our our nerves or whatever, it doesn't make a difference what the challenge is or what what is threatening our biochemistry, so to speak. We produce these molecules and they I imagine that when they because we know that they're basically signaling molecules.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: So I imagine it, you know, that when something happens in our body uh, and we produce endocannabinous, that they just send this message out there to other cells and bacteria and everything else living inside of us mm-hmm. to do whatever it takes to to bring us back into balance. And this can mean that we need to detoxify if we... We breathe it in too much PM10 particles. This Mm -hmm. can mean that they activate the immune system. If we have an infection, this can mean that they produce a lot of um, uh, anti-inflammatory molecules. If our joints are inflamed, it doesn't really matter. And this wisdom, you know, this kind of yeah intelligence Mm -hmm. that there is something created that keeps us functioning, no matter how crazy the world out there is. I think it's so amazing. I, I, I think yes. it shows the, so, so much, I don't know, intelligence in creating our bodies, ourselves, cells, because especially now when we see that the world is becoming more and more challenging to live with, yeah. to live yes. in, not with, uh, <laughs> to have something that can really safeguard our biochemistry, our basic cells. I think it's, it's beyond imaginably wise and beautiful that we would have something like this. And um, th- this is one of the things that I, you know, when we look and then when we know that this exists in, inside of our bodies, that this is a part of us, uh, to start, if you always keep this in mind, you know, that you function in a way that supports this system. That even if we are that we are cha- challenged with some kind of disease and we have to take medications or do something, that if we keep in mind to to do things to then keep this endocannabinoid system functioning, it's I think it's a complete game changer that we don't yep. fight symptoms anymore, that we don't deal only with the pain or only with the inflammation, but that we always keep in mind. Okay, so we have this endocannabinoid system that I always imagine like the top boss of all the biochemistry you know this is like yes. the toppest guy you can talk to in the body and there, is yes. no, and there is no health on the long term if the endocannabinoid system is not functioning properly so okay you address the pain you address this everything but you have to start talking to the big guy because without Absolutely. that and this is what you know this, this 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 is beyond fascinational for me to have something like this and that we now understand it enough that we actually can start influencing it. You know, we can yeah. stop start supporting its function not only through phytocannabinoids but also through I don't know essential fatty acids, uh, yep. uh, prebiotics, probiotics, healthy just there is already a lot that we know that supports the function of the endocannabinoid system just to know i think that everyone everyone should know that you, for example now in slovenia it's winter time you know and be okay now especially because it's the covid situation but also in other years there was always this flu and you know seasonal infection mm-hmm. stories and it was always build your immune system for the winter yeah yep that yeah the immune system is also under the influence of endocannabinoid system and you also can't have a really good immune system if your endocannabinoid system is failing so um to know that we have this and to really start behaving kindly towards it and support its function i think it would change everything how our bodies function and how well we are able to cope with the challenges that are, are a daily fact.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you've pointed out some, some major things. I mean, one of the things is I'm, I'm preparing to teach a cannabinoid science class next semester. So this is all directly at the forefront Yay. of my brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but just this con- this concept of stress, you know, and how stress influences the endocannabinoid system it is, it, it, just like you said it, it doesn't have to be physical stress it can be psychological oh. stress it's stress in general um yeah. it tends to um promote the body either to make more endocannabinoids or to overexpress express cannabinoid receptors yeah. uh with the idea that those sort of uh and this isn't really the right language but there's not a good language to talk about it but those receptors sort of want to be satisfied Mm -hmm. you know so that they can downregulate again um and so it's you're right that it it you know a lot of times we talk about cannabinoids having this role in homeostasis um and i think sometimes we talk about it so much that we often don't explain to people like what that means like what uh, how that sort of presents itself, but it's, it's true. Like you look at, um, a lot of diseased tissues, um, they often, um, upregulate, um, certain types of cannabinoid receptors. And then also when you think about things like, uh, TRPV1 receptors or, um, PPAR gamma receptors and all these other things. I mean, one thing that's fascinating to me is that cannabinoids influence so many different receptors in the body and in that their activity at cannabinoid receptors highlights the importance of those receptors in the body um but it also highlights like um it's it's sort of unusual to see molecules that are this promiscuous in their activity um and I talked to um, Dr. Vincenzo DiMarzo about this um, a few weeks ago or so, about a month ago, and he was saying that, you know, a lot of his research right now is studying the endocannabinoid dome, so this expanded Mm. concept. But he was like, even that doesn't explain everything that just CBD does. It doesn't do it justice,
1: even if you do the OM at the end, right? It doesn't do it justice.
0: And it just shows how it, it just... For whatever reason and and i'm really interested in understanding this like what is it about the structure of these molecules that gives them these um uh, these characteristics but they do they they transcend the endocannabinoid system they transcend the endocannabinoid dome they they tug and influence just uh so and it's hard to it's really hard to put into words just how mm-hmm. wide-reaching um these effects are and that they do affect every part of our physiological functioning in some way. And then you mentioned the fatty acid component. So, you know, the uh, cannabinoid science is sort of explaining why good diet and exercise is important for you. You know, Uh, it like provides the molecular mechanisms to understand um, on a deeper level um, what those things are actually doing to influence your health. And so, uh, you know, I think, Um, I don't know how long it'll take for all of this to reach mainstream, uh, medical schools and hospitals and and that sort of thing. But, you know, um, you and I that have spent years, you know, reading all of this and studying it and, and you, you have that moment where it clicks and you're like, like, oh my God, like this is exactly. um, a really huge thing. Like this is Nobel prize worthy. Like this is a major shift in how we think about health and human Mm. physiology. When that happens on a bigger scale for more physicians, more Mm. pharmacists and that sort of thing. I I think we're going to see a a drastic change in the way that, um, that sort of healthcare is approached in general. Um, Mm. It's it's in drug development and everything else. It's going to be a really fascinating future. I just worry it's going to take way longer Hmm. To get to that point, than uh, than we would like.
1: Yeah, that's true. I uh, for me, it's also I believe that it's gonna be, um, uh, yeah, a major shift. But okay, because of the the complexity, uh, there's mm-hmm. always gonna be so much more to study. You know, yes. this is like a never-ending Pandora's box where you can always look at another thing. I, yeah. I'm sure that whatever we're gonna choose to look at, the collaborators are gonna affect it in one way or the other. Yeah. But already yeah. if we take what we know now, you know, we could already use this what we know and do something with it in medicine. But I'm not saying that every doctor should prescribe cannabinoids. But right. I'm saying that there shouldn't be a doctor that doesn't know that we have this, you know. Yes. There shouldn't be a doctor that does not know what a medication, you know, for me it was also um a little bit surprising and um yeah, a little bit worrying that there's so many medications that we use today that we are prescribing or even that we can buy over the counter that affect the endocannabinoid system. And we don't yeah. know. And if we're using them for a long time, yeah. it can affect and there's nobody speaking about it. What the for example for me, um at least in Slovenia we can buy this paracetamol um what, what is it like? Um, yeah, like a syrup for children, you know, when they're little mm-hmm. for fever, for teething. Right. Yeah. And there's quite a number of parents that are giving them this paracetamol because it's very sweet syrup. You know, the children like it. It's a little bit pink in Slovenia. Mm-hmm. And so they give it in the nighttime so that they sleep better because the teeth aren't going to hurt mm-hmm. and they're not going to. And they keep doing that like for months and months. And we know paracetamol affects the production of endo- anandamide, you know? And nobody ever mentions, okay, like this sweet pink little syrup does something to the endocannabinoid system of your child. And okay, I, I say, I, I mean, I don't say that we're not supposed to use it at all, but right. to have the awareness that it does something else as well besides just maybe reducing the pain of, the teeth coming out especially if it's used on the long run and it's very similar also with many other medications even the antibiotics even the
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, anti-inflammatories everything and this that the uh, the pharmacists and the doctors would have this awareness that if they're prescribing something that may challenge the endocannabinoid system that then there should be some special care given to keep it yeah. upright or redo, um, restore its function once we are not using this anymore. Because uh, I think that a little bit of this is already happening with antibiotics. You know, they say, okay, yeah. if you're using antibiotics, have a little probiotics or take care of your gut flora. Uh, and I think that the same logic should start to be applied also with other medication and endocannabinoid system. But that can't yeah. happen because I think that. Yeah, at least here in Slovenia, there's not a single doctor that comes out of medical school knowing anything about the endocannabinoid system. And this is a yeah, huge, it, huge gap.
0: Huge, huge. And, and it blows my mind, too, because, um, you know, you can think about what you might would be exposed to in medical school. And, you know, you get exposed to the functions of <laughs> leukotrienes and prostaglandins and all of these sort of similar uh, signaling molecules that control immune function, inflammation, and different things like that. And endocannabinoids are quite similar to those, Uh, you know, eicosanoid kind of compounds. And so, you know, doctors are already being exposed to essentially a a class of compounds that overlap with endocannabinoids. You could think of endocannabinoids as eicosanoids to a large degree. They're uh, built on demand. They generally affect uh, cells and tissues and things locally um but then yeah to have that just gap that you, you you learn a piece of the puzzle but then this other piece of the puzzle is just totally uh um ignored i i agree i think that it'll take an extremely long time we'll be studying it's like a fractal a never-ending yeah. uh thing that you know we're, we're gonna when it's like you said just cellular biology in general and pharmacology is like this that the deeper you go and the more you study, the more mystery you uncover and then there's more to study and you know, and you keep going. Um, but I totally agree that even just, and I actually talked about this on a recent episode, that just acknowledging that these dynamics are at play can really change the way that um, a healthcare provider um, thinks about treating a patient. Even if it's something as simple as, okay, you're going to, be on this medication that might disrupt normal endocannabinoid signaling or something so at least take some omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids exactly you know yeah. just so that your body has the precursors to build these things um,
1: exactly my point is.
0: yes yeah you know it's just something as simple as that could be very uh life-changing for people and i agree that i i do also worry about the chronic use of medications and the unique side effects that we see from, uh, the chronic use of different, different types of drugs. I mean, one thing that's been on my mind, um, if anything, if a medication is like antagonizing cannabinoid receptors, well then you see side effects like suicidal ideation and depression and things like that. Well, you see those side effects in a lot of, um, psychiatric and anxiety medications and things like that. So it really makes you wonder I mean, obviously they're affecting serotonin and all sorts of other things, but also what's how are they affecting CB1 receptors mm-hmm. and are are they antagonizing them? And if you're antagonizing CB1 receptors for a long time, like that's definitely something you don't want to do. You've got to give it a break. Um, so I'm right there with you. It's a mm-hmm. big concern that it's a huge gap in our understanding. How do our current drugs affect the endocannabinoid system? And we really don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and this... This, I think, should be uh, really closely looked at because, you know, there was a time when it was... um, So a lot of focus was given recently, at least here in Slovenia. The doctors were very... um, Very concerned about patients using cannabinoids without them knowing it. And, you know... Yeah, and the CBD is... um, uh affecting how the other drugs are metabolized Mm -hmm. so yeah that's one of the the truth as well of course one should be definitely careful about using together uh, i don't know cbd or other cannabinoids with medications but also the other way around what are the medications doing to our own cbd yeah (sighs) yeah right it's uh...
0: absolutely and and you know it's uh Another thing that I'm wondering about too, I don't know if you're seeing it in Europe, but um, in the United States, basically starting last year, this year, um, hemp crops that are really dominant in CBG are being Mm -hmm. grown. Um, And part of that is um, because CBG plants tend to have even lower concentrations of THC, um, Mm -hmm. just in the nature of how the plant synthesizes those compounds. And so we're about to see a lot of cbg products hit the market and that's something we don't really understand very well Is like how does cbg influence some of those enzymatic pathways compared to cbd are they more potent or not we know that generally all phytocannabinoids influence those cytochrome p450 mm. enzymes to some degree and this cbd seems good. and and cbd seems to be the more potent um mm. of the phytocannabinoids you know in that degree but you know what about CBG? But then you know it's sort of a double-edged thing because you could also use that manipulation to your advantage to potentially prescribe less of a drug that may have um, harmful side effects exactly. if if you understand that dynamic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we we see a little bit of this trend in uh, Europe as well. A little bit of the CBG coming, still very still a little still uh, much much less than cbd but it's coming uh, but yeah this is definitely a very for example they have noticed this very strongly with patients in epilepsy again that uh, mm-hmm. many of the antiepileptics can be used in much lower concentrations if cbd is added because it slows down the metabolism of the drug and they they have actually seen, as you say, much when you know this and you know how mm-hmm. to combine the CBD with the anti-epileptic, you can re- reduce the dra- drug dose and still get the same effects. And for example, with anti-epileptics, the side effects are quite severe. And this is a very important consideration. And this con is actually a pro if you know how to use it and work with it. So,
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And and looking forward, what are some areas of cannabinoid research that you, um, I guess, are most excited about following and, and seeing play out over um, the next several years?
1: So there's two that I am super <laughs> excited about. So one is also actually was inspired by one of the speeches that... Um, uh, dr david meiri gave in israel and he showed how different strains or this i call them rather chemotypes or of uh, mm-hmm. cannabis affect different medical situations and they showed first in cell lines and then also in patients that um, different chemovars for example inhibit a hundred percent growth of uh, let's say prostate cancer cells but they do nothing for the breast cancer cells and vice versa there was another strain that inhibited 100% growth of the I don't know uh, cervix cancer but did nothing to the lung cancer and this is where I think that one of the major breakthroughs should or I'm hoping also will happen that when we find these links you know When we say, Mm -hmm. okay, this genotype grown like this, we know at least it has a huge potential for this, this, and this, but doesn't do much for this. And we know exactly that there's another group that does, that holds, you know, at least in the lab, they can show great potential, for example, for breast cancer and this type and this type. And this linking the chemotype with a certain specific disease, I think, this would because this would be a huge benefit for the patients because now i see that with with patients there is usually i see exactly this kind of response sometimes when you don't well now we're mostly just guessing you know when it comes to chemotypes Mm -hmm. and specific conditions and we see like this sometimes Uh, the cannabinoid medication really works like wonders it's really like beyond miraculous they take something and a week later they feel a little bit better and their health just keeps climbing and sometimes they see a little bit of improvement and sometimes together with conventional therapy it gets better and they do better with the cannabinoids than without them and for some it doesn't do anything and i think and then sometimes the Medicine is trying to explain it in a way that we have responders and not responders, Mm -hmm. but in my perception, this is this doesn't make sense because we all have cannabinoid receptors. How are we going to be non-responders? You know, it's we have just not gotten this specific ratio of cannabinoids versus terpene versus this whole bouquet of a thousand molecules. We haven't got the right. This is why there hasn't been a response. And if we would match this. A little bit closer, I think this would be a tremendous um, step forward in this. And we have this, Absolutely. you know, there, there are so many varieties. And I'm sure that it wouldn't be so difficult to map. I don't know. These, This group of varieties is good for inflammatory conditions. This one is good for these and this cancerous conditions. Even if, if I would go very far you know, like in my wildest dreams kind of direction you know if you want to confirm that you have a diagnosis of cancer they always take either surgery or at least a biopsy mm-hmm. and if we could take that piece into a lab and put 200 different chemotypes of extracts on yeah. it we could see exactly which one does a 100% reduction of growth or kills yep. everything in 48 hours and then we could just give it to the patient this would, right. my, <laughs> this would be my this would be my wildest dreams that we would have this arsenal of medications available this full spectrum extracts and then be able to match it with the response of a patient.
0: Absolutely. I totally totally agree and I think we're you know, I think we're getting close. I um you know, I spoke to Arno Hazekamp um not oh! too long ago. Who, you know, proposed this idea of chemovars. And he was saying that he's like, you know, we we have a perception that there are hundreds or thousands of different strains. And he said, you know, there's probably um 25 to 50, maybe a hundred, you know, really unique mm. chemovars. And he said, you know, exactly. we just have all these names floating around and we haven't characterized them very well. He said, but when the data set gets big enough, we should notice these patterns and these groupings. And then, and then we can compare any product we get to those groupings and say, Uh okay, this chemotype of this extract fits into group C. And we know, because we've done a lot of study on that chemotype that group C represents, that it tends to be, you know, effective on these cell lines. And because of our clinical data, we also know that 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 translates to humans. Um, So, I mean, the the foundation is being laid to get there. And I think to sort of tie this up with a lot of things we've already said, um, when the analytical tools um, improve and are more widely available, um, when we get better communication and education between healthcare professionals and the folks working in the analytical labs and the folks working in, you know, doing other types of research and getting that information sharing going, it will accelerate that progress Mm. will accelerate quite a lot. Um, and just, I mean, uh, lab is going to announce, I think, um, next year at a conference, he already talked about it on the podcast, but I know he's headlining some conference where he's talking about progress they've made in leukemia cells where they've discovered Mm -hmm. certain blends of like three cannabinoids tend to be extremely effective (laughs) for the certain type of, you know, leukemia cell. So, I mean that's the beginning that that's, that's... where it's that's where it starts. Um, so we're getting there. And then you mentioned there was something else you were really excited about as well. yeah
1: so for me, one of the other very fascinating fields is how to affect the productions of endocannabinoids locally, you know yes, yeah, so to, to also preferably not with chemicals but with other plant compounds, you know, if you have a inflamed joint or something locally because that's the way that cannabinoids would function also in our bodies they would be produced very locally not systemically and if we could somehow mimic this that if we see something going on in a certain part of the body that we could maybe transdermally or somehow bring it to that spot and influence the production of endocannabinoids right there
0: yes that's that's huge and I, i think something that um, we didn't talk about specifically, but I think it's worth mentioning because it's often underappreciated is that endocannabinoids and cannabinoid receptors often do different things in different cells mm. and different types of tissues. And so we often get this idea that we just need to take oral cannabinoids and, and slow no? yeah, yeah. <laughs> mega doses exactly. and get them like going Overboding. all through our bodies. Yeah. And that that's going to, you know, a lot of times the term like stimulating the endocannabinoid system or activating the endocannabinoid system is used. And it's like, well, that's that's, not necessarily what you want. Yeah. Yeah, Like you really want targeted action and sometimes um, overstimulating. Uh, parts of the endocannabinoid system, whether it's cannabinoid receptors or the production of endocannabinoids themselves, which will then stimulate those receptors, like that can be bad. You can, uh, some, you know, we're learning that some metabolic conditions may be associated with an overactive endocannabinoid exactly. system. Hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of times we tend to talk about deficiencies and we don't talk enough about the other side of endocannabinoid system derangements, which is, you know, the overexpression, um, overactivity. And so, um if that's a huge challenge how do you get cannabinoids where you want them or how do you um, stimulate the production of endocannabinoids where you want them and nowhere else um i do i totally agree with you that that's that's on the forefront that's that is kind of the frontier we're at now it's like got a basic understanding of what's going on how it can influence health but now how do we manipulate it in yeah, a targeted way exactly um, how do very we work with it?
1: how do we do it or how do we maybe influence its function where we see that it's not doing what we want it to do anymore or where its function is kind of impaired and we want to get it. Yeah, this is... Yeah, absolutely. And I always say, you know, when when patients are asking, how do I use it or how do... Okay, when it's, for example, for preventive reasons, like for managing stress better, Always think about how the body would do it in an ideal case and try to mimic mm-hmm. that you know, and the body is never going to produce a huge amount of cannabinoid that will be floating all over the body. it just wouldn't yep. and that's not how how these molecules work and it's different when you're i don't know managing a chronic infection all over the body yep. or if you're trying to manage malignant situations or something like that, but if you're trying to work with your body then it's you know I, for for stress management or for things like that i always say if you're having a great day you don't need any cannabinoids your body doing what it should be doing if you know that your way, if you you know that your day is going to be hard and long and you have meetings or travel then take a little bit of cbd it's going to do the protective function And if you come, if you think your day is going to be fine and you find yourself being overwhelmed and kind of thrown off the wagon 10 times before it's noon, then the first chance you get, take a lot of CBD and try to cope with the damage. Because in ideal case situations, when you're over the top, your body would produce much more than on... A great day when you're just relaxed and you can you feel like you're you know you're floating with the yeah. flow and everything is going well and just trying to keep in mind what the body would do in an ideal case and try to yeah you know go with that, try to mimic yep. that or support that function that the body would do in an ideal case scenario,
0: yeah, and then that also relates to um another sort of Area that is at the front of cannabinoid science, which is we have to develop better tools to measure the activity of the yeah. endocannabinoid system. And that is a really tough one, because um, beyond spinal taps and biopsies, um, it's 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 very difficult. But um, yeah. I do have hope that we'll get there. I think that um, as we understand a lot of these dynamics more, there's a possibility we may be able to measure corollary compounds that are easier to measure that. Have some correlation to cannabinoid, endocannabinoid um, activity, or something. Even if it's maybe um, measuring other, you know, acyl ethanolamines or something mm. um, that maybe are are easier to get a grasp on. But you, you know, maybe we can understand that if the body's producing these, then it's probably also producing, mm. you know, anandamide yeah. or something. Um, but it's a that's a it's a really tough challenge, and so. Um, I love the way you've wrapped this all up because you've really highlighted like the big areas that a lot of minds are starting to focus on, which is how do we get these chemotypes associated with targeted action and clinical use? Um, how do we, um, in a very direct, targeted way, influence the endocannabinoid system the way we want yeah. and where we want it? And then this other piece how do we measure it all (laughs) and, and and tie that all together? I mean, I, I do think that's, that's pretty much where we're at of like, that's, those are the, that's what excites me too. Those are the big, big pieces around the corner. Um, yeah. And I I know I've, I've kept you for almost an hour now, so I want to, um, start to wrap things up and and let you go eat dinner and and enjoy your night. I know we're on a, a big time difference here. Um, but, Uh, To to sort of wrap things up, I mean, I wanted to make sure to talk about your books. So you just um, Ah. fairly recently published a book in two languages now. So it's in German and Slovene, right? And then uh, you have an English version coming soon?
1: Exactly. So the uh, the German uh, book was released last year, and it was also written and uh, based on an invitation from a publishing house in Austria, in Germany and then it took quite a while for me to get it into a slovene language because for me Slovene is quite <laughs> Slovene is quite a difficult language <laughs> um so uh, it's now actually in about 10 days gonna be coming out of the printing uh the nice. slovene book so at the um, uh, web page of icana uh, it's already possible to pre-order it and it's gonna be out in um yeah In about 10 days, it's going to be actually physically available. Uh, And the English version is also... uh, these uh, Both all three languages actually cover kind of the basic... um, Yeah, the basic, a little bit about the endocannabinoid system, uh, a little bit about prevention, and then it touches upon a few medical fields that I think that... um, that are maybe most important or mostly asked about this is mostly meant as kind of a guide for people who are curious about the effects for a specific medical conditions i think that mm. my my idea was that this book will be helpful to patients it's not to really go deep into the science of it. I try to keep a very simple language so that anybody can just look at it and see, okay, I've got this and this. Does it make sense to use it? You know, and Mm -hmm. this is... That's why it's, for example, it covers a little bit on the immune system. It covers a little bit on the gut health. It covers a little bit on neurological conditions. Also, of course, cancer conditions. And a little bit if and how we can use cannabinoids for prevention so to keep us Mm. healthy um so it's very yeah very easily understandable it's it's gonna be like maybe 140 pages it's not like a Mm. a really huge thing it's kind of digestible (laughs) and then of course i provide literature so people can go and of course dive deeply as they want to uh but so that kind of anybody can just take it and have get an idea of what this is all about and if it makes sense for them or not
0: absolutely yeah um and uh are the are the titles the same between languages what's the german title and the slovenian title and then how does that translate <laughs> to English? Because depending on where someone is that's listening yeah. to this, they, they could be in any of those places. Yeah,
1: it's true. So the English, uh, so the German title is "Hanfmedizin." This translates directly to cannabis as medicine. Hmm. Uh, and then the title in Slovene will be Uh This would translate cannabis in medicine like okay. in the field of medicine right and the english title i have not fully decided yet uh, i think well um the thing is that in the english speaking world there's quite a lot of um, great books including yours uh, on oh, cannabis you. so it's very hard to choose a title that has that kind of still is available or still makes sense <laughs> to be chosen so I think. Yeah, that,
0: well, I can I can relate to that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's not easy, right? So, but I think it will also be. It has to be something very general because uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's not uh, a very specific book that would go into details on anything specific. It's supposed to cover general, um, an ideas. So it will be probably something like cannabis in medicine or the potential of cannabis in medicine, something like mm. this. But it the title in English has not been set yet.
0: Awesome. Well, I look forward to that. I can't wait <laughs> to uh get my hands on it and <laughs> uh and check it out and promote it. Um and um I also wanna give you the chance, um, let people know um how to learn more about Icana um, and really anything else um as we start to to wind down here, anything that you want to share with people, any um um, if you have any events coming up or any just anything, I basically will hand the platform over to you to um, kind of finish this out um, and yeah, let people know what's going on in your world and, and how they can learn more.
1: Yeah, so to learn more about Ikenna, you can just visit the webpage of uh... Uh, Institute International Institute for Cannabinoids, ICANA, is the web page. We post a lot what's going on there. Um, There are unfortunately no live uh, lectures going on in Slovenia or anywhere else. We usually held quite a number of those. Um, Probably each month at least one uh, lecture was held for either patients or public or even doctors. But now this has all been a little held back. Um, yep. Yeah. What we're trying to do now also is um, uh, we're trying to organize uh, doctors that are willing to do counseling for patients uh, online. Hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We've uh, organized ourselves something that we call cannabinoid-clinic.com. Um, and we're trying to get uh, doctors from different um, fields of medicine, also from different countries, that where patients can come, they can um, send their uh, uh, medical documentations, we look over it, see all the drug interactions, and just simply suggest if cannabis makes sense or not, and suggest what kind of preparations, what kind of routes to take it. So this is what we've been also working very hard on because we have seen, at least in this part of the world, there's a huge lack of, um, generally doctors where patients of any kind of medical field could get information on it or specifically so it, does it make sense can I use it I'm using six medications can I use CBD yeah. to go along with it um, and this is what we've been trying to overcome or at least offer a place where this can be yeah, done also in these times when yeah <laughs> when uh, yeah when
0: everything is everything is over the internet now yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. i know
0: yeah it's it's a it's a weird weird time but that's really exciting um you know it, it's nice to to use the situation we find ourselves in to kind of uh find a way to leverage that to do some interesting things and i I really think that type of work is very needed. I I was talking to someone just yesterday um, about, about this concept of uh, telemedicine Mm. and um, you know, the potential to be able to connect people to healthcare professionals that actually have some knowledge about cannabinoids and everything so that uh, they can ask those questions. Cause one of the, one of the comments a lot of people say to me is that, well, I want to talk to my doctor about cannabis or cannabinoids, but they don't know anything. And mm, so true. it's not going to be a productive conversation. Um, so that's yeah. really exciting. I'm glad that you're working on that. That's um, a much needed resource um, for sure. So excited to see that. And yeah, I'm excited when things calm down and, and travel is possible and and feasible again i you know i had hoped to do um a lot of travel this year and wanted to to make it out to europe and had all sorts of plans but hopefully maybe late next year or who knows (laughs) knows, (laughs) Uh, i i really miss being in front of people and teaching Uh, and you know interacting with people face to face and you know all of that so
1: it's very uh, different holding a course uh over um I've also been lecturing now for the students and it's a completely different experience for them and for me it's um, it, it's completely incomparable to being there face to face debates developing questions being answered yes. popped out Puh. yeah I yeah, think I, also I, students I, as such will have much less from the courses when they're held yeah. like yeah
0: I agree yeah I agree I think you know it's nice that we have the technology to be able to communicate like this and share information but absolutely there are elements lost that you you can't recreate virtually uh-huh. um that is a huge part of of teaching it's one reason why I, I am passionate about teaching that dynamic it's, that feedback my... loop that gets created yeah. it's it's a beautiful thing um well, so yeah. Too, yeah. Thank- Fingers crossed we get to get back to that very soon, but I don't want to keep you any longer. Um, thanks so much, Tanya, for being willing to talk to me for well over an hour today, and um, I'm sure we'll we'll get to talk again soon. And um, I definitely want to connect with uh, some of the other folks at ICANA and, mm-hmm. and hear about their experiences and everything and really start to, um, I don't know, share with our listeners more of what's going on beyond... You know, one thing I like about this podcast, a lot of people kind of get used to hearing from the same people over and over yeah. again. They're sort of like the main five or ten people you see at every conference <laughs> that are talking. And so it's nice to connect my <laughs> listeners to people that I, you know, that I collaborate with and everything that you maybe not hear from so much that are doing some amazing work and gaining some really incredible perspectives um that need to be shared with everybody. So I look forward to uh, connecting with more people from Ikenna. And then one day I look forward to to getting out there in Slovenia and uh, doing some, some more direct work there. So thanks so much for being willing to come on and um, I look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: Thank you very much. I feel very honored to be able to have this conversation with you.
0: Uh, thank you very much. And everyone listening, thanks so much for for listening all the way through. If you want to learn more about Curious About Cannabis, just go to cacpodcast.com or find us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, all the main social media places you can find us. And Tanya as well. If you go on YouTube, you can uh, search... Um, for either ICAna or Tanya's name and you'll find I mean you've got quite a few um, presentations that are on YouTube that people can check out and um, at least get some get some education in that way too. So um, I encourage people to check that out. So thanks everybody for listening. I'll connect with you soon. Stay curious and take it easy. If you want to learn more about cannabis, check out the Curious About Cannabis book on Amazon.com and other major online book retailers.